when the pretty, wonderful, beautiful uh, applause lady stands up. Uh, lady, would you stand up, please? Please give her a full participation. Yes, 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 very good. Okay, quiet on the set, quiet on the set. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. It's showtime. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting to you live from Hollywood, California, the host of our new show, Let's Dig Up Some Dirt, Bob Eubanks! Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much, thank you very much, and welcome to our new game show called Let's Dig Up Some Dirt. American people, let's be honest with each other here. We all love a good story, especially if there's some dirt on somebody involving it, don't we now? There's really nothing quite as exquisite as finding out that your neighbor had an affair three years ago or that your roommate, Bethel students, got expelled last year for breaking lifestyle very, very badly. Isn't it just sort of delightful? We love to dig up dirt on our candidates, our political candidates and our celebrities to find out the nitty-gritty, jaded, dirty details of their past life. It's just, it's a national pastime. And this is why no one with the right mind is going to run for political office this year. We love to dig up some dirt. And this game show is designed for you. The object of this game is simply this. We're going to have some good, wholesome family fun by humiliating our guests that are going to be here. And we thought, since this is our first episode, let's really go for the gusto. Let's really get behind the scene. Let's go right to the, the hero of heroes, the, the, the valiant of the most valiant, the people who are the most respectable, those heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. I hear you've been hearing about some of them. Well, like Paul Harvey always says, and now it's time for the rest of our story. So today we've gone back 3,000 years sometimes to dig up the past and bring to us some real heroes. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to give a warm welcome to Mr. Abraham, father of the faithful. Come on out, Abraham. Oh, yeah. And we've got... His lovely, adorable, sweet, petite, and meek wife, Sarah, Mrs. Abraham. Oh, yes. Don't they make a lovely couple? We've got the soul. We've got the sole survivor of the flood. The hero of all mankind at one point, Mr. Noah. Come on out, Noah. Oh, yes. Now, this next guest was kind of tough because he's really, really, really far up there when it comes to heroic stature. This is the man who was actually part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, the greatest king on earth, we are told, King David. Come on out, David. Oh, yes. Finally, we've got the beloved son of David, once reported to be, and I'm told still is, the wisest man on all the earth, the author of many, many proverbs, a real hero of the faith, if ever there was one, right out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, let's welcome Solomon! Ooh. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. 
Welcome, guests. We are, you are here because you've been selected from the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame to appear on our, our game show called Let's Dig Up Some Dirt. Now, <laughs> let's start with Abraham. Abraham, I'm told that, I read about it, that you were, you were quite a righteous man. Is that true? Yes. And, and um, uh, you followed God wherever God would lead you. He led you out of Ur. You followed him. Most of your life you were a, ba- a vagabond because you, the Bible says, were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Is that true? Glory to God. Yes, it is. Well, no wonder you're in the book of Hebrews because you really are a hero. But I wonder. Um, <laughs> the American people would like to know the rest of the story. And I wonder if your past is really all that pristine and all that clean. Is it true, Abraham, that at one point, actually quite soon after you received the promise from God that he was going to give you a son supernaturally, right soon after that, as you were walking through the land of Egypt, you got kind of a little afraid of some Egyptian men. And is it true that you actually pawned off your wife as your sister because you were afraid of, of, of what they might do to you? And is it true... <laughs> Well, well, I, I, you almost got a king to sleep with her. Isn't that true? Well, it was just as good. And I'm just getting warmed up. Because about 40 years later, friends, our, our noble hero of the faith, Abraham, he did the exact same thing to King Abimelech, almost got the guy killed. Would have if God hadn't intervened. Is that true, Abraham? Can you affirm or deny these charges? Uh, yes. Thank you very much. I rest my case. <laughs> Apparently, we've really dug up some dirt now, haven't we? Oh, this is getting exciting. Let's turn to Sarah, the lovely Sarah, the sweet Sarah, the meek Sarah. Sarah, you are listed in in, in Hebrews chapter 11 too. Congratulations. Thank you. A hero if ever there was one. And it was partly your faith that brought about the supernatural birth of Isaac, even when you were quite an old woman. That's right. Okay. But the American people want to know if there's a little more to the story than what maybe the preacher's been telling them. Isn't it true, Sarah? That at one point, as you were kind of going along in life, you come and came up with your own sort of scheme. And isn't it true that you then connived, nagged and nagged, poor old Abraham, so that he would actually conceive of a child <laughs> with his concubine, Hagar? Is that true? Well, my biological clock was ticked off. Your biological clock was ticking. We've heard this story before. And you actually, isn't it true, wanted to call that, by your own decree, you wanted to call this Ishmael, who was born of Hagar the concubine, God's promised son, when in fact it wasn't of God at all. It was of your manipulation. Isn't that true? And then, in a fit of rage, she drove Hagar and Ishmael out of the desert where they would have died a horrible death if God himself hadn't intervened. Isn't this all true about you? And then, when God finally... Oh yeah, blame it on the man. Oh, there you go. And then, and then, when God finally did show up and reminded her of the promise that he had made many, many, many years ago, what did, what, what did you do, Sarah? Do you remember? No. She laughed. She laughed. She mocked at God. So apparently there's more to the story than meets the eye when it comes to the righteous and the meek. Sarah, thank you, Sarah, for letting us dig up some dirt. Mm. Let's move on. Mr. Noah. Yes. We owe you a great debt, don't we? You, you were, of all the earth back in the bad old days uh, before the flood, you were the only person that says uh, that, that God found favor with. You were righteous when all the world was wicked. Is that Servant true? Sort of God, yes. Well, I, we are all impressed now, aren't we? And if it wasn't for you, the entire... Oh, yes, we are impressed. <laughs> but we want to know, the American people want to know, is there another side to Noah that maybe is not so much preached on? Noah, 
have you ever had a certain fondness for the fruit of the vine? Well, uh, at a certain time. Let me rephrase the question. Have you ever got so stinking, sloppy, inebriated, intoxicated, and all out drunk that you fell down on the ground naked? Has that ever happened? It wasn't to you? quite like that, really. It was. Uh, it was. You would have done it too, really. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We've all heard the story. Locked up with a bunch of animals, smelly stuff. You know, you couldn't take it any longer. Thank you very much uh, for letting us dig up this dirt on your life. Apparently, Noah's not all that pure and pristine as we thought. King David. Oh, if ever. Singer of songs. Ah, yes. <laughs> Writer of the Psalms. Expander of scripts. <laughs> Can't get good help these days, I'm telling you. Now, David, you, you have so many credentials that it's no wonder you're a hero of the faith. I mean, true. Uh, it, it, is, it is said that, you know, Jesus was named the son of David. Uh, one, like, one like David, a King David. And under your reign, I am told that Israel just prospered and prospered and came as close to being a theocracy as Israel ever got. Is that true? This is a truth. And it's even said of him that he's a man after God's own heart. Isn't Very that wonderful? So. Let's give him a hand. Oh, a man after God's own heart. But it's a little surprising to me that there's only a small mention of you in the book of Hebrews. One little word, actually. I'm a humble man. And yes, I'm sure you are. <laughs> but the American people are wondering if maybe it rather has to do with a certain young lassie named Bathsheba. Huh? I thought as much. And now for the rest of the story, David, isn't it true that even though God had blessed you with many wives, David, isn't it true that he blessed you with many things and given you a mighty fortress? That one night as you were walking on top of that fortress, you spied out this young lady who was already married, well, we might say. I, I, and you lusted after her in your heart. Well, it all And you invited her into your room. You don't understand. Oh, I'm sure it, I don't. And then they had an adulterous relationship, and she got pregnant. So what did David do? The righteous man, the man after God's own heart. Did he repent before the Lord? No. He sent out and had, isn't this true, David? Let's come straight here. Let's dig up a little dirt. I, he had planned to have Uriah. In fact, he succeeded in having Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed on the front lines while Uriah was fighting David's war. Isn't this true, David? It, it, it all depends upon how you define is. Really, we need to... 3,000 years and politicians haven't changed. I'm telling you. The... Thank you, David, for letting us get the real scoop on the real David. Sounds to me like the Hebrews Hall of Fame could just as easily be called the Hall of Shame. Now, Solomon. Welcome, Solomon. Thank you. Ah, the wise Solomon. Full of wisdom. It is said about you that, that you just had wisdom that made nations marvel. Yes. And that God had so anointed you and gifted you that, that people would come from all over the world just to listen to your teachings. And you wrote many, many Proverbs. Isn't that true? That's correct. Small wonder. He's in the Hall of Fame now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But I wonder, Solomon. I have read in tabloids and in other places like the Bible <laughs> that 
And could you just comment on this? It says this in 1 Kings chapter 11, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, the daughter of the Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Idiomites, the Sidonites, and the Hittites. What's with it with these ice women? My goodness. They were of the very nations. Listen to this, folks. They were the very nations whom the Lord said to the Israelites, You shall not mingle with them, neither shall they mingle with you, for they will surely turn your heart away to their own gods. Yet Solomon clung to all of these. Solomon, you defiantly disobeyed God, didn't you now? And then it says here, listen to this, to the delight of everybody. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines in old age. And his wives turned away his heart from God. I'm surprised they didn't, you know, give him a heart attack. Solomon, how did you do it? Viagra. Viagra. <laughs> and then, no wonder they called him wise. And then it said this, for, the, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was neither complete with the Lord his God as was the father of David, of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and after Milcom, the abominable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon, is it true? The wise Solomon, the godly Solomon, the hero of faith Solomon, isn't it true then that you were at one point in your life defiant? You were disobedient. You were pagan. You were an abomination to the Lord your God. Can you affirm or deny this? I cannot deny Thank it. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have our guest here today on Let's Dig Up Some Dirt. Let's give him all a warm hand. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Solomon. King Solomon. Okay. Welcome to Woodland Hills Church. We do this every Sunday, and I dress up like this every Sunday. Really, it's part of our just ordinary stuff. We've been studying the book of Hebrews. We've been studying Hebrews chapter 11 about the nature of faith. And we've been the last couple weeks looking at, asking the question, what does faith look like? Here's a commercial break. Commercial from the, uh, from the skit we just did. Um, we last week saw that uh, faith, we looked at Noah and, and, we, and we asked, what does faith look like when it's incarnated in the life of a person? And what it looks like is, number one, someone who expects the unexpected. And number two, someone obeys the Lord and starts building an ark because the, the floods are coming. Um, we, faith is, is this, it hauls lumber, it nails nails, it puts together wood. Right now, we are in very bad need, this is the commercial, in very bad need of some lumber haulers, some nail nailers, uh, and some arg builders. We are starting a Saturday night service this next Saturday, that is six days away. Uh, so far, we have two people uh, to help out, set that whole thing up, set up the uh, sound system and the chairs and whatnot. We really need some help on this. Um, so Joe Cote put a gun to my head and said, get out there and get some. So here's what I want to do. I want to see if what we need is five people. See, in a church this big, everyone always assumes that somebody else is doing it. Uh, wrong. It doesn't work that way. Uh, we, we need everyone to pitch in. Could I get five people here? Here, here? Here's what we need volunteers for. To volunteer to help out to come two hours early on Saturday, to commit to, to, to six months of coming two hours early on Saturday, uh, that would be at 3 o'clock, to help set up the auditorium. 
You can volunteer to do that every week, or you can volunteer to do that once a month, but we really need help. And I'd like to know, is there five people here who would be willing to do that? Uh, I got one, I got one, who'll give me two, who'll give me two, three, I got three, I got three, who'll give me three? I need uh, two, two more. Okay, another one, one more. Oh, one, two, three, okay, good. Thank Hallelujah. Thank you. Uh, would you do this? Right after the service. I appreciate it, man. We got, we got a lot of lumber around that needs hauling. Um, would you go to the visitor's room and just talk to Joe. He'll take down your name and see what kind of schedule you can keep, and we can pull this thing off. Okay, next Saturday. Uh, did, did Chuck announce it that starting next Saturday we're having a service uh, Saturday night, 5 o'clock? All right. Good deal. What we're seeing this week, we already saw it with the skit. I'm just going to give a little message on it, is this. You know, I... One more commercial. I'm so glad I don't wear this every week. This is so hot. How do preachers do it? I mean, real preachers. I, I don't know how. Uh, this is just uh, out of control. It's amazing. Okay, I'll take it. That made way too much common sense for me to ever think about. What does faith look like? It looks like it expects the unexpected, and it looks like it builds an ark. The third thing that faith looks like is this. As we look at these heroes of the Hall of Fame, and we could have gone to just about any of the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, what you find is this. Faith looks human. Faith sometimes looks fallen. And faith always looks forgiven. Forgiveness is at the center. It's the core, the foundation of what the Christian faith is all about. The, the center of the good news that we preach is that through Jesus Christ, through believing in Jesus Christ, we can be perfectly reconciled to the Father, made one with the Father, and have our sins washed away. We can't preach that enough. We can't preach it in, in enough different ways that the message would get through over and over and over again. For all that, however... It still seems to me that we have got a serious PR problem both inside and outside the church. You run into people all the time who have whatever conception of Christianity they have. The last thing is that it's a household of forgiveness where grace flows, where freedom flows, where people are accepted as they are. met a man not too long ago at a market. It was about a year ago now, I guess. And I had invited him to church, and his first response was this. Oh, it's a little late for that one, buddy. Uh, you know, way too much water has passed through the bridge. I do not belong in a place like that. And I tried to convince him that, in fact, this is the, this is, this is, uh, the, the one place where he really does belong for all the reasons he just gave me for not belonging. But it shows you his conception. A lot of people think, both inside and outside the church, that the, that the, the church is the holiness club, the, the never-screwed-up-too-badly club, the aren't-we-a-little-bit-better-than-the-rest kind of a club. A lot of people might read the, the, the Hall of Fame uh, chapter 11, book of Hebrews, in that fashion. I could never be like these people because they never did what I did. They, I've been disqualified. A lot of places, uh, they actually will say this out loud. You're forgiven, yes, and you're right with God, yes, but there's always a stigma attached to you. It's, it's, it's sort of a forgiveness, but not an all-the-way kind of a forgiveness. Approached a man several years ago to be on our overseer board. He really had a gift for it. I could see he had a gift for it. But his first response was, you know, that it just isn't going to be for me. And I asked why. And he was a little reluctant with this. The shame in his life was intense. But he said, well, about seven or eight years ago, I had an affair. And I said, well, you know, have you gotten your life back together? You know, is your marriage solid now? Have you gone through repentance and whatever? And he's like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, we're, we're better than we've ever been before. But, but with that kind of a past, you don't want an overseer like me. You see, disqualified, out of the running, 
got knocked out, and still, yeah, you can tag along, you have a role here or there or whatever, but you're never going to be a hero of the faith. You're never going to fulfill the call that you would have been able to fill if you hadn't screwed up so badly, you see. The blood doesn't quite cover the whole benchmark. There are places that will tell you that if, you've, that if, if a pastor has been divorced, uh, then they can never be a pastor again. They can be a janitor, perhaps. They can, you know, set up chairs. They can do a lot of different ministries. But they can't have any kind of leadership role because somehow this has become the unforgivable sin. It's done. You're disqualified. Can't do it. See? Some people disqualify themselves because they can't bring themselves to let go of the sin that they did in their life. And maybe it's because of false teaching or maybe it's something else. But a lot of people get in their mind that they've been disqualified. They're, they're, they're going to squeak by. They're, they're the squeak by Christians. They'll get into heaven, but kind of the just barely get by Christians, you see. Norm, the guy has got a gift of leading worship like I've never seen. The guy is just anointed when it comes to leading worship. I approached him four years ago. Just sensed. I heard him sing one song and I, the Lord moved on me and said, talk to him about getting involved in the ministry. He was setting up machines. You know, just doing machine shop stuff. And that's a good calling if that's what God's called you to. But I can tell you, God did not call him to do that. God called him to do what he's doing now. And I approached him and I said, Norm, have you ever considered? Amen. Thank God for him. Thank God for him. But his first response was, you know, I said, have you ever considered going into ministry, music ministry? And it's like, oh, Greg, <laughs> you know, you, you don't know me very well. Um, I think that my past just kind of uh, makes it that, that an impossible uh, agenda. And uh, I spent a good month or two just drilling into his brain as hard and as, as, as in many different ways as I could that whatever his reasons for not going into the music ministry, that cannot possibly be one of them. You know, it, it, it violates, goes against some of the most foundational principles of all the gospel. Some people disqualify themselves for other reasons. For other reasons. There have been people that I've known that have... In their mind, they don't do it consciously, but in their mind, they've disqualified themselves from really having a whole and healthy and happy second marriage because they keep on hanging on to guilt from the first marriage. I've known a person who disqualified themselves from ever uh, having the joy of raising a child, though she loved children and wanted to have children, but because of a past abortion, she was disqualified. And yeah, maybe she could still go to heaven, but this knocks her out of the running when it comes to motherhood. I've known people who have had problems in their, uh, in their marriage life uh, with, with sexual intimacy because they're still carrying residue garbage from sexual sins they committed before they were married. It's a yes, but kind of forgiveness, a sort of kind of forgiveness. Yeah, God forgives me, but there's always a stigma, there's always a stain, there's always a limp. I can never be a hero of the faith. Reminds me, when I was a kid, went to Catholic school. And God bless the Catholics, but I'm just going to tell you one thing that I just never have understood. Okay, and I'm not trying to bash Catholics here or anything. I'm just going to tell you the confusion that I, confusion that I had as a child. They used to tell, uh, uh, teach the distinction between venial and mortal sin. Do you see know what I'm talking about? I can see all the uh, ex-Catholics here or Catholics here or whatever. Yes, venial. And I never knew what venial sin was. Um, I, I thought it had to do with a little lamb. You know, veal, venial. I, 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 I never knew... I didn't know. Someone tell me what it means. I, I don't know what it means. But it was the lighter sin. But then there were the mortal sin. The mortal sins were like this. Here's how they describe the difference. A venial sin is when you take a board and you write on it with a pencil. And that's bad. You dirtied up the board. But you can always wash off the pencil and now you have a new board again. But a mortal sin, whatever that is, however you do it, that's like a nail going into the board. And God can pull the nail out. But there's always going to be a hole in that board. And you'll always know what you did. 
Now, I had an unusual childhood. Uh, I learned this in third grade, catechism in third grade. And I was absolutely convinced. I mean, I was in a smoking club and a stripping club and a lot of other very, very bad things for an eight-year-old to be involved in, okay? So I, I, I was like... I mean, when I went to confession in third grade, I had so much on... I'm not kidding. I got so excited getting all the sin off of me that the whole cathedral heard me tell my, my stuff to the priest. When I came out of the confessional, all the parents were, you know, were like looking at me like, demon seed. You know. I, I, I always had this heart that was convicted, and yet I could never manage to live in such a way that I wouldn't get convicted. So I was sure I committed a mortal sin. Absolutely certain about it. Didn't know quite what the criteria was, but I had, I was going to have a hole in my soul throughout all eternity. There no one's, they're never going to forget this. It, it's too late. It's irrevocable. I'm done for. Yeah, I can still go to heaven. Oh, glad for that. But I'm always going to have this, I'm always going to be scarred, and I'm always going to have this hole in this piece of wood, you see? And that's why, to me, it was such good news when I learned about 20 years later Praise God that the only scar that sin leaves to anyone who accepts it is the scars as a reminder in the, in, in the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Praise God. And the only hole in wood is the wood on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when God says you're forgiven, he means you're forgiven. Holy Spirit, let's just make this be seared on our brains. Forgiveness means, from God's perspective, forgiveness. It means reconciliation. It means slate white clean. It means no debt, praise God. It means there's no more account to be paid. It means pure. It means spotless. It means radiant. It means vibrant before God. Hallelujah. When God forgives, he really forgives. There's not a mark. There's not a nick. There's not a nothing that's left over. That's God's forgiveness. And it's available to everybody who says yes to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. New creatures in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ makes us like that. Think about that for a second. Have you ever gotten a brand new thing? A brand new car, maybe? You know, you don't even want to drive it. It's like, uh, oh, wow, this is so... It even smells good, you know, for the first... Until you drive it, and then it doesn't smell good. Um, but it just has that newness to it. I remember as a kid... Um, as a kid, I got a brand new cymbal. I was a drummer. Bang, the daylights out of my old cymbal. And uh, I saw that my parents gave me a brand new cymbal. And I remember I, I, I pulled it up. And it was so shiny and glistening. I didn't even want to play it. It was just, oh, this is beautiful. See, my old cymbal was something like this. Like, like this was my old cymbal. Look at that thing. You know, it's like a, looks like a, some kind of a hat or something, you know. It's got chinks, it's got marks, it's dirty, it's grimy, and it sounds terrible. I mean, can you hear that? It's, it's, it's a trash can sounds better. Here's my old symbol. And now, all of a sudden, here comes this new symbol. Now, this isn't a brand new symbol. I borrowed this from Tim, but uh, I can't afford $300 to improve on a sermon illustration, so, so pretend like it's new. I mean, so this is glistening. Can you see that? Look at that. I can shine it in you, see? Isn't that beautiful? There's not a chink on it. Chinks all over the place here. There's not a mark on it. Marks all over the place there. It, it, it just glistens, and it's so perfect, and it sounds just like a, like a symbol ought to sound. See, the Bible says you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. That means you're like a this. You're not like a this, praise God. You're like a this. You're not like a this. Hallelujah. You're not a like a this. So what's the problem with you? You don't get it. Uh, Hallelujah. 
And if Abraham and if, if, if Noah and if all the Old Testament saints could understand that, and they obviously did, how much more can we understand it who are given the revelation of God and Jesus Christ? Do you really think, now saints of God, do you really think those of you who hang on to this residue guilt for the stuff that you've done in the past, that, that your sin is worse than Abraham's sin? Do you really think that your affair was worse than David's affair? And God made those people heroes of the faith. Do you really think that your murder was worse than David's murder or that your blasphemy was worse than Solomon's blasphemy? I don't think so, praise God. The Bible says that when you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, it's washed away. And whatever relative greatness or smallness of your sin becomes inconsequential in the light of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible says that we are, as far as the east is from the west, he's cast our sins from us. Now the devil comes along and, and, and keeps on trying to remind us about this. Greg, look what you were. You were bent up. You are bent up. Man, you are all nicked. You don't sound good. You don't look good. You don't play good. You are no good. And then Jesus Christ comes along and says, what are you talking about, devil? What are you talking about? This is what I have made. This is the real Greg Boyd. This is the real McCoy. And I don't see a chink in him. Hallelujah. Not a chink, not a mark, not a scratch. Amen. And believer, you got to know this this morning. you just got to know this, that when he looks at you, this is what's true about you. He's not pretending. This is the real symbol. That one's dead. It's gone. It's buried. It's done. Fine. It is no more. On this symbol, there is no abortion. There is no divorce. There is no past slander. There is no past gossip. Whatever you've done, whatever you were involved in, it's not found here because this is perfect. This is radiant. Read Ephesians chapter 1. You're adopted as a child of God, put in Jesus Christ, robed in righteousness. There is no fault found in you. That's what forgiveness is all about, praise God. The Bible says this. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I love that much more. Everybody say much more. more. Everyone say much, much more. Let me tell you what I'm talking about when I'm talking about much more. This is, I'm talking about, I wish we had a different word for it. Mucho much more or something. Um, it's like, you know, th- I, this is so important because there are people who think that they are in a squeeze-by or just barely get into ca- to heaven contest. God doesn't have any squeeze-by Christians. Where sin did abound and it abounded in my life and maybe it abounded in your life, you've got to know that grace did much, much, much more abound. That God is infinite, and every finite point next to an infinite point is relatively inconsequential. God's grace is infinite. That means the sin it's up against is inconsequential. Your sin, uh, your, next to God's grace, your sin is, is, is like a, a little sandcastle that some kid made trying to stand up strong against an oncoming 900-foot tidal wave. The tidal wave is the tidal wave of God's grace. It's rolling right towards you. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ in your heart, it hits that beach and it goes whoosh. And you can try to look for that sandcastle if you want. You can try to find it. The devil will try to get you to do just that or maybe even try to rebuild it. But what you got to know is it's flat beach, folks. When the tidal wave hits, it's flat beach. You're not going to find it. It's not there. Your sin next to God's grace, it's like a, it's like a, a gnat trying to knock down a 747. <laughs> Got the picture? Splat. <laughs> See, it's just the blood of Jesus Christ flying along, and we try to throw this at him. It's splat. It's, uh, it's kind of a no contest. It's like a... It's like a feeling creative here. It's like a... <laughs> it's like some kind of a... Um, 
flee trying to knock the earth out of orbit by jumping up and down. Yeah. Do you think the earth really notices very much? It's like, uh, it's like trying to keep a match lit in the oncoming level 5 tornado. It just isn't going to happen, folks. It isn't going to happen. It's no match. It's no contest. It's like a grain of sand trying to plant itself on the ground uh, when a hurricane's on top of it. You know, it's, it's, like a, it's like an ant trying to scare off a stampede of, of elephants coming its way. Rawr! The elephants don't really care. That's what God's grace is like, praise God. It rolls over you. Amen. It's no contest. It's a done deal. It's not a close call here. It's not a close call for David. And that's some pretty lurid stuff. It's not a close call for Abraham. That's some really, really pathetic stuff there, folks. It's not a close call for Solomon. And that really is bad stuff. But it's not a close call. It's a flea trying to jump on the world of God's grace. And the world of God's grace just keeps on bulldozing forward. You see, where sin did abound, grace much more, did much more abound. But here's the issue for a lot of people. You can accept that, yeah, God's great, God is good, God forgives. But when it comes to actually forgiving yourself, this is the issue. And the devil gets a hook in you and holds you bound, and you're walking in all this more than abounding grace, and yet you're tied down by the strongholds in your mind because you can't let go of stuff in the past. What we sometimes do is we forgive ourselves the way humans sometimes forgive other people. Not according to God's grace, but according to our strength. Here's how humans sometimes forgive. We do it a lot. We, we do an official forgiveness. Uh, it's, it, it, we officially forgive. We legally forgive. We go through the apology. But, but, but there's a but there, you see. We forgive but. Uh, we forgive sort of. We forgive kind of. We forgive but not really. Here's the difference. When you really forgive, you forgive and it's gone. When you kind of, sort of, officially, but not really forgive, you keep the trump card. You see? A wife who forgives her husband stays in the marriage. She officially forgave. This is not going to end the marriage. She stayed in, in, in the marriage. Her husband cheated on her. She forgave. But every time they get in an argument that gets really, really nasty, boom, out comes the trump card. Well, we all know what you did. You see? That's a forgiveness but. That's an official but not really. God does not forgive like that. The devil always tries to turn God's forgiveness into that kind of forgiveness. Yeah, okay, officially, but you'll, you'll never be a hero. You'll never be like the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We all know what you did and tries to bring it back again. The amazing thing is this. God never once in the entire word of God ever brings up a person's past sin against them. Never. Did God ever remind Abraham of the stuff that Abraham did? He didn't. Even when Abraham repeated it again, almost verbatim, 40 years later, or 50 years later, whatever it was, God didn't say, well, Abraham, this is the second time we've been through this now, isn't it? Because, see, when God forgives, he forgives. It's done. It's in the past. Boom, you blew it again. Okay, we'll start from here and go forward. God doesn't go back and retrieve the dirt. We dig up dirt. God does not dig up dirt. The devil digs up dirt, but God does not dig up dirt, praise God. When it's gone and it's past, it's done. It's over. We've got to learn to think according to God's grace, not according to our own limitations and our own system and, and whatever. Bottom line is this. We need to, over and over again, remind ourselves and do it to apply the completed work of the cross to our life. Jesus' last words were, it is finished. Or it could be translated in Greek, uh, it is completed. It is done. And what he's saying there is this. What has just happened, as he breathes his last breath, is sufficient, more than abounding, enough 
to cover the sin of the entire world. And what we need to do, believers, is to take that completed work of the cross and apply it to our relationship with God and apply it to our relationship with ourselves, and apply it to our relationship with one another. It is finished. It is done. Saints of God, don't let the devil, don't let the devil steal from you the freedom, the full, full freedom that God wants you to have by reminding you of some past sin in your life. Don't let the devil steal the joy out of the marriage that you're involved in now by reminding you of past stuff in a past marriage. Don't let the devil steal from you the joy of, of, of intimacy. Why do I always stutter when I try to say the word sex? The, the devil steal from you the joy of sex in marriage because of past stuff that went on before you were married. Don't let it happen. Don't let the devil steal from you the full freedom that God wants you to walk in. Don't let him take from you the ministry that God has for you, that God's gifted for you because of past stuff done. Don't let the devil put forth an old, banged-up, jinked-up, bad-sounding, bad-looking, unplayable symbol when the reality is that you're new and you're shining and you're spotless. And don't be saying to yourself right now, this is the enemy. Yeah, that's all true, but. That's true for that person, but. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Put it under the cross of Jesus Christ. Let it be covered by the blood and move on. There's a time and a place when there's certain sins in a person's life where they need to step out of ministry. I understand that. That's wise. You need to, you need to get healthy. You need to guard your weak points. You need to recover. You need to solidify things and, and whatnot. But that's not, it can never be a permanently crippling thing. To think that is to insult the blood of Jesus Christ. You're saying, well, it wasn't quite enough for that one, you see. There's something bigger than God. There's one gnat that is bigger than a 747. There's one match that can stay lit when an oncoming tornado. There's one flea that can knock the earth out of the orbit. And that just is contrary to everything we learn in the gospel. Finishing line here. When we surrender all to Jesus Christ, when we turn it all over to him, when we really... When we have faith in his forgiveness. These heroes of faith, they weren't heroes because they were so spotless, obviously. They were there, they were heroes because they had faith in who God was, not in who they were. And the center of that is they had faith in God's forgiveness. And God's ability to pick us up off the ground and keep on walking. And when we stumble again, to pick us up and to keep us walking. Believe in God's forgiveness. When you do that, and you accept, you apply it to yourself. First John says that even when our own hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. I love that. See yourself the way God sees you, not the way you want to see you. When you apply it to yourself and surrender it over to him, the beauty is that he can take even the faults, the nicks, the stuff, and he can weave it into our life into something very, very beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know how he does it. He's very, very wise. But David wrote some of his most beautiful psalms after his fall with Bathsheba. And a child died as a result of this. I mean, this is dark stuff. But David learned about grace, and he learned about humility, and he's ministered to people throughout history by writing these beautiful psalms of repentance. It wasn't God's will for him to go after Bathsheba. That was not. It wasn't God's will for Uriah to get killed. But once David made it his will, God says, okay, I can if David will let me recover this and make something beautiful even out of this. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, and it can happen to you and it can happen to me. George McDonald, some of you know him, a great evangelical leader, um, 
uh, wrote the book, Ordering Your Private World. He was a specialist in how to keep your life godly and ward off sin and how to keep things in place. He fell into sin. He fell into an, uh, an adulterous relationship. And he was discovered. He was caught. This was not a free confessional kind of thing. It looked like his ministry was over, but thank God that George MacDonald and his friends knew that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And he took some time out of the ministry. He got, he, he got help for some of the issues he was dealing with. And now he's back, and it's a new George MacDonald, seasoned with repentance, uh, with, a, with a perspective on grace and patience and acceptance that he never otherwise would have. Is it good that he fell into sin? No, it's not good that he fell into sin, but it's even better about what God could do with a sin once he fell into it. You see what I'm saying? Jim Baker's another story. Jim Baker, as far as I'm concerned, in 1980s was running a carnival, a Christian kind of a carnival, and he was ripping people off. We all know that. He was thrown into prison because of it and brought, just, you know, hurt the cause of Christ tremendously. But praise God, he had a faith that was bigger than his faults. And he hung on to God, and now he's out of prison, and he's doing a totally different kind of a ministry. I think one that has got a a dimension of anointing that the old Jim Baker never had. He's in inner city Los Angeles, working with inner city kids, building an inner city church. He knows his temptation. He's a great fundraiser, so he doesn't do any fundraising. He will not accept donations except from the people he's ministering to. And he's doing a little work there, and there's an anointing there, and there's a power there. And I believe you're going to see more of him. God's going to use him. He's a mighty gifted man. But he surrendered over the sin and the fault. He kept on going. And God is making out of him, like God wants to make out of every one of us, a hero of faith. God wants all of us to be heroes of faith. And it starts by having a heroic faith in God's ability to make us new, to make us clean. This morning I'm going to close this in prayer. But I would like the prayer people to come forward here. And um, I want to give this invitation. Maybe you're here this morning and you've always had that, what you think is a hole in the piece of wood. You've had a scar. You've had a limp. You're a squeeze-by Christian, a yes-but Christian. You're plagued. You can't get it out of your mind, the thing that you've done. You're, you ask yourself maybe every night, how could I have done that? I can never forgive myself. God wants you to be set free this morning. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. Paul persecuted the church. didn't matter. It's a gnat trying to hold up a 747. So when we're done, I encourage you to come forward here and, and, and receive prayer and get some healing to the stuff that's going on in your life. Let's stand. I want to sing that song. Just one stanza of it. Um... Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, for sinners slain, for sinners. Let's sing it as a prayer to the Lord. Thank you, oh, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till your work on earth is done. Thank you, O my Father, for 
giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till your work on earth is done. Lord, may the tidal wave of your grace, the tidal wave of blood from the Lord Jesus Christ wash over every one of us. Lord God, and free us and break the chains and demolish the sandcastles of deception that the enemy has set up in our, li- in our lives. Lord, I pray that every mind as they go out of this place would understand the reality of your forgiveness and how thorough and how total it is in our life, Lord God. Set your people free as we go out of this place to set other people free. And for those who lo- need, Lord, Lord, who need to tarry a little longer and pray a little bit here, I pray you'd give them the courage to come forward and and enter into prayer to get set free from the things that hold them down. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. You are beautiful beyond description. You are too marvelous for words. Lord, where the ugliness of sin did abound, your beauty, the beauty of your love, the beauty of your forgiveness did much more abound. And we give you the thanks and the praise for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go forth in freedom. Amen.